caused God to use Nehemiah. Why was it that Nehemiah was used to see the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem? And so there's four things, that, and it's all out of Nehemiah chapter one, okay? The first thing is this, it's passion, passion. It says in verse four of Nehemiah chapter one, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So notice this, he gets news that the walls are broken down and he wept and it touched his heart and he got a burden for it and he started fasting and praying. Now, here's the thing. It's not like that he didn't already know this. Everybody knew that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. It's not a surprise to him. His whole life, he grew up knowing that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. But it's only now that he gets a passion for it. It's only now that he actually gets a burden for it. What is happening? God is putting a burden in his heart and that's stirring him up to cause him to be the person to do something about it. Bible tells us in Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I used to think that meant that, you know, if I delight myself in him, he'll give me whatever I want. Whatever I desire, he'll give me. That's not what it means. It means delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desires of your heart. As you delight yourself in him, he starts dropping desires in your heart. And those are the things he wants to see come to pass. And so right in the beginning, as God's about to move, he starts putting a burden and a desire in Nehemiah's heart about something that he already knew, but it stirred him up to move and actually be the leader of this rebuild. That's when you can tell God's doing something in your life. Have you ever noticed, have you ever get a burden or passion for something and got so ticked off at everyone else because nobody cared about the thing you're passionate about? You know what's happening? God is stirring you up to do something about it. Someone's got to do something about this. Somebody's got to change the situation. What is God doing? He is stirring you up. He's putting that desire in your heart. In this situation with Nehemiah, this is where I really greatly admire him because basically this desire that he's getting is actually he is getting a kingdom desire. That's when you know the desire you have is kingdom. It's easy to get a passion or a desire about something when you actually have a need. If we have a need, we often get passionate about it. But this guy has no needs. This guy is actually the cupbearer to the king. It tells us here in the first three verses of Nehemiah 1, the guy is living in a citadel. So watch this, Jerusalem, their walls are broken down. This guy's living in a fortress. He's living in a palace. You can't rise any higher as a foreigner in that society. His life is pretty good. He has no needs. Yet he gets a passion about another group of people who are suffering, even though he's not suffering. That's when you can tell you've got a kingdom. Uh, that's when you can tell you've got a kingdom desire. It's so easy when you've got a need to get fired up about it. But when God gives you a passion and a desire about a group of people and they're suffering and you're not, that's a sign that God is stirring you up. That's when you can tell when you're a kingdom person, when your life is beyond just about us. I do believe there comes a time in your life when actually all your needs get met. But that's not when life is end and that's when my life is cool. That's when we need to focus on other people. That God blesses us to be a blessing to others. It's not about us. There comes a time in our Christian life, it's no longer about us. It's about people that don't know Him. It's about people that are in situations struggling that we're not actually struggling in ourselves. That's when you can tell it's kingdom. I love the story about... Uh, this church in Adelaide is now called Influences Church. It used to be called Paradise Assembly of God. And uh, the, um, 
and uh, the senior pastor that really saw it grow massively was a man by the name of Pastor Andrew Evans. And Pastor Andrew had two, has two sons, uh, Pastor Russell Evans from Planet Shakers, who's Planet Shakers, and Pastor Ashley Evans, uh, who's now running the church. And, and his father was a man by the name of uh, T.L. Evans, so Tommy Evans. Uh, and so Tommy Evans was really well known for his preaching style. He'd always basically preach every sermon and say, I don't believe in much, but I believe in the Holy Ghost. Uh, and that was Tommy Evans. And so, and so they're at this church and it's in Adelaide and it's called Paradise Assembly of God. And, and then all of a sudden they're, they're Russell and, 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 um, you know, and Ashley and guys have seen lots of young people come to the Lord. And, and one of the things they did was they had their youth service and their youth service, man, they did it to reach a new generation. And so basically that means that the music was really, really loud. Uh, and the songs were all new and that sort of thing. And, and then people started complaining, you know, because those in the days when people thought drums were the devil and that sort of thing, you know, because it commands evil spirits and all that sort of thing. And, and so, you know, people getting upset, old people would come and, you know, say, this is not right. You know, they shouldn't be into that music. They should be liking Gaither and that sort of thing. And, and so right at that time, uh, you know, getting a lot of criticism and, and Tommy Evans used to go to youth every Friday night. And he wouldn't go there to tell them off. He would go there to have his earplugs in and he'd go and sit on the front row as youth was on. And he'd be sitting there saying, this is God, this is God. And he'd turn and tell, talk to other people and say, this is God. It's not about us. It's not about the music that we like all the time. There's another generation that actually needs God. He wasn't interested in that, but he could see what God is doing. And that is when you can tell you've got a kingdom purpose and desire, when you get a passion and desire for something beyond what we are. Amen. Amen. That's actually what happened there with Nehemiah. His life was pretty good. He had a fantastic career. His life was incredibly safe. He would have been incredibly well paid. And yet right now he gets a passion for a group of people that have nothing to do with him. The second thing is this second reason why God used him is because of a promise. A promise. Notice this, Nehemiah starts praying and he starts praying to the Lord. And, and in verse 8, he actually reminds the Lord of something. He says, remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, he's talking to the Lord, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you are cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. What is he doing? He's got a burden. He's got a passion. But he also, the reason why God was using him was because many, many years before, God made a promise. And the promise that he was going to look after his people. These people were going to be scattered. They're going to be brought back. And they're going to be brought back to their promised land. The second reason why God used Nehemiah is because of a promise. God is actually staying true to his word. God is actually saying, God is actually recognizing, and Nehemiah is holding it up before the Lord, that God had made a promise. And Nehemiah understood something. If God makes a promise, it's actually going to happen. It doesn't matter if your situation looks so terrible. If God has made a promise, then it's actually going to come to pass. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. That's why the Bible says in Titus that God is not a man that he should lie. God, Bible says God cannot lie. You know, it's, more, it's not that he hasn't, it's, it's more than him having so much integrity he can't bring himself to lie. It's more than that. It's that he actually cannot lie. Why is that? Because when God speaks, he actually creates. When he says something, it's actually got to come to pass. That's why if God was standing here today and said, oh, holy cow, there'd be a holy cow. Because when he says something, it's actually got to come to pass. And so Nehemiah understood this passion I'm getting is in line with God's word. 
This passion I'm getting is in line with the prophecy. This passion I'm getting is in line with something God said. And so because God said it, I know He can actually bring this thing to pass. There are times when we need to be reminded of things that God has said. There are times we need to speak to our situations. If our situation doesn't line up with what God has spoken or what God has said over our lives, we need to start speaking back to that situation. Bible says, speak to the mountain and it'll be moved. God's word's not gonna move, that mountain's gotta move. And in the same way, there are times in our lives where you can either get a word or promise from God's word or God can speak to you about something or you get a prophecy, that there's times that you gotta hang on to that and realize that if God said this, it's actually going to eventually come to pass. I told you the story many years ago and uh, <clears throat> I was reminded of it this morning after the guys had just come back from extreme and became a youth pastor in Mackay back in 2000 and uh, took over this youth group that was, uh, you know, uh, it was on the first night, it was amazing. We had uh, 20, 22 kids rock up, which was great. It made us the second biggest youth group in the city. And uh, then by the middle of the year, due to my incredible leadership and vision, the youth group grew down to six. Uh, before I had come, I'd been given all these prophecies from the intercessors in our church, even before I got there. And they were saying, you know, Pastor Ben, God's told us that this youth group's going to spread fire. There's going to be fire in this youth group, Pastor Ben. There's going to be fire. And so I got there, man, there's no fire. Uh, there's hardly any kids. They had no interest in the things of God. Uh, I remember one time I was trying to have a holy moment. And I, I used to make a rule about praise and worship because the kids didn't want to praise and worship God. And we we're in this room that was really echoey. So we'd be doing praise and worship and the kids would start talking and that sort of thing. And I actually had to make a rule. I'd say to the kids, listen, you can either sing or be quiet, but don't just talk during the praise and worship. And remember another time at Easter, trying to teach them the importance of communion, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So thought I'd make it really relevant that we made the body uh, hot cross buns. Uh, and, uh, and for the juice, we actually had uh, Coke. Uh, and so we started handing that out to the kids. And as we started handing out to the kids, even before it was fully handed out, I'm trying to have a holy moment. They have a food fight with the communion emblems uh, in the middle of youth. And I'm just sitting here in the middle of, you know, and so and I'm still getting all these prophecies um, from the intercessors. Oh, there's going to be fire on this youth group. Pastor Ben, there's going to be fire. Well, I was like, well, you obviously haven't been. <laughs> They're as dead as a doornail. Remember one day I was just really agitated and I was in our little unit and my wife Trish was out getting her hair done. So I knew I had a good six to eight hours to myself. And, <clears throat> and so I thought, I'm sick of this. Get all these promises about what God's going to do, none of it happening, the exact opposite. And I thought, I'm just going to lay a hold of God. I'm going to start doing what Nehemiah did. I'm going to declare back to God his promise. So I started walking around that a little unit, started declaring, Lord, you promised, you said there's going to be fire in this youth group. There's no fire. You told me, you promised. You, all this doubt was crowding in on me as I'm feeling even stupid when I'm saying it because the situation was so opposite to what was happening right then. But I just kept declaring. After about two or three hours, something shifted and I just knew in my heart something had happened. A uh, couple of months later, we took our youth group down to the Gold Coast for a Youth Alive camp called State Quake uh, and, uh, from Mackay. And uh, it was a horrible trip. Uh, the kids were so naughty on the bus. Uh, I just wanted to turn the bus around and go home and that sort of thing. And I remember we got there, we're all tired when we rock up to the camp. And by the time we get to the camp, uh, you know, go to the first meeting and 
all these kids are there and, and this group from Gold, there's this group from Gladstone and they're the first group that run up the front, praise and worship God. And I knew their youth pastor really well, a guy by the name of Andrew Young. And so they're up there praising and worship God. My kids have never seen that before. And so, my, and so they start wandering up the front. I thought they're going up the front to muck around. I start intercepting up at the top of the aisle. I said, hey, hey, don't muck around up there, all right? Those other kids are serious, you know? Those Gladstone kids are spiritual. Uh, and... Uh, so where they went up the front and the other kids are jumping up, praising God. Kids in my youth group are like, start jumping up and down, praising God. And then all of a sudden, as they, and then afterwards, they do some slower songs. So the kids from Gladstone start lifting up their hands, worshipping God. So the kids from Mackay start lifting up their hands, worshipping God. All of a sudden, the power and the presence of God come upon them. Oh, they started weeping. They started shaking under the presence of God. And for the first time, our little youth group had some fire. Five months later, we started a conference in Mackay. You may have heard of it. It's called Extreme Youth Conference. Still going now, 22 years later. It's known hundreds and hundreds of young people from all around regional Queensland. It's known as a conference of fire and the presence of God. And it all started with a dead little youth group and a promise and some help from some kids at Gladstone. I'm here to let you know when God says something, it's going to come to pass. Amen. When he makes a promise, he cannot lie. Nehemiah knew God's going to do this, not because I'm amazing, but because God has made a promise. And the third thing is this. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, part B. When you say part B, it means the second half of the verse, okay? <clears throat> it says, for I was the king's cupbearer. The reason why God used Nehemiah is the third reason is position. He was actually in a position to do something about it. He was one degree of separation from the person who could make it happen. And that's the king. I'm sure over the previous 100 years, Nehemiah was not the only person who got a burden. He was not the only person who wanted to do something about it. But Nehemiah was actually the per, a person in position to be able to do it. I would imagine that right at this moment for Nehemiah, I reckon probably his life started making sense. He had unusual favour to be able to be in the position that he was. The fact that he was the cupbearer to the king means he was not a waiter. He was actually the head of the king's security detail. Because in those days, one of the most common assassination attempts was to poison the food of the king. So the job of the cupbearer was to make sure that this was a clean cup. So he had to... So he rose to that position as a foreigner. That's unusual, friends. That's favour. I can imagine all Nehemiah's cousins saying, oh, mate, my cousin Nehemiah, unbelievable. Like he's advisor to the prime minister. You know, amazing. You know, he's just one of those guys. He's just been blessed. He's just got favour. He's just got a great job. He lives in a palace. You know, he's just one of those guys. And I can imagine Nehemiah, would have thought, hey, I just I guess I'm just blessed, too stressed to be blessed, you know. <laughs> Life is pretty good. And then one day it hits him. That's why. That's why I'm so blessed. That's why I'm in this position. Just like what Mordecai said to Queen Esther before she approached the king, for such a time as this. This is the reason why you're here. There is a kingdom purpose behind every job, every occupation. 
Bible says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he planned in advance for us to do. There's a thing called the sacred and secular divide. I don't agree with it. But people say this, part of, this is sacred and this is secular. And this part of my life is sacred. That's like my worship to God. And this is secular. You know, that job I got is a secular job. And if I really want to serve the Lord, then maybe I should give that up and go work for the church. Or, but you need to understand something. No, no, no. For every person here, in every occupation, God has a kingdom purpose for why you're at where you're at. And Nehemiah was positioned in the right position to be actually used by God. Not only that, the only way Nehemiah was able to get to this position was because of impeccable integrity and character. You don't get to become the cupbearer to the king if you've got a dodgy character. You need to be completely trustworthy. That tells me that character is so important to actually fulfilling our destiny. Romans chapter 5, 3 to 5 says, We glory in tribulation because tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. That's a thing I preach a message on that. It's called the destiny equation. It's the key components of fulfilling your destiny. Starts off with tribulation, trials. And it produces perseverance. So we're supposed to respond to trials with perseverance. And then perseverance produces character. So that's how character's formed. I wish character was a gift. I wish at the end of this service, I could line you up and say, right, you're about to get the gift of character. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Boom, character, character. That's not how it works. Character is formed how? Trial. Persistence, character, and then it says in character, hope. So that's how you get a good attitude by going through stuff. And hope doesn't disappoint. Uh, hope appoints. So that means you're now ready for the divine appointment that God's got for your life. So on the way to fulfilling your destiny, character is so important. Character is a thing. God's always working on our character to be able to handle what He actually has for us. That's why some of you are going through what you're going through right now. Because you said, I wanted to be used by God. Well, this is how he does it. I remember one time I was at a conference and there was an elderly pastor there and very, very tall man. I was a young man in my early 20s. I went up the front to get prayed for and he said, how could I pray for you, son? I said, I want to be like Jesus. And he looked at me and said, are you sure? When he said that, I thought, oh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but I thought I can't deny Christ in front of a pastor. So prayed for me and I had tribulation ever since. Because <laughs> Christ-likeness, Christ -likeness, character, and ultimately destiny is formed by going through some trials. Nehemiah could not have achieved this position. It doesn't tell us, but there's no way he could have been the cupbearer to the king without being completely trustworthy and having great character. And without that, he would never have been able to fulfill his destiny. Some of you are going through a tough season right now. Some of you are going through a period where things are going wrong. I'm here to let you know, keep on persisting because you will be positioning yourself to be used mightily by God.
that if you go through this season and if you pass through this test, on the other side of it, God has got great things for you. Because you need to understand that character is necessary to fulfill our destiny, but that is actually formed by going through some difficult times. And the last thing is this. Nehemiah 1.11b, which I just read to you before and I'll read to you again. For I was the king's cupbearer. I'm the king's cupbearer. I'm here. The king is right there. Why do you think it was that the walls of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt? Well, there'd be a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons was provision. They wouldn't have had the money. They wouldn't have had the resource to do it. And they would have been completely and continually being attacked by the enemies. They just weren't in a position. Yet here's a guy who gets a burden that is standing right next to the government purse. The fourth reason why God used Nehemiah is because of provision. It's because of provision. He actually had the resource to do it. If you read in Nehemiah chapter 2, which I won't be doing in the next service, but in Nehemiah chapter 2, what he actually does is he actually gets permission from the king for all the resource. The king said, right, whatever you need. That's why he did in 52 days. He did no fundraising. He didn't spend six weeks doing car washes to get the money to rebuild the walls. You know what I'm saying? He had the money like that because he had access to the king. If we want to see the walls of uh, Jerusalem rebuilt, if we want to see the kingdom of God expanded, if we want to see the kingdom of God increased, then the reality is that you need provision to actually do it. One of the things we need to understand, all of us as believers, is that everything God gives gives us, part of it is to be used on ourselves. Part of it is to be used to be a blessing to us, but part of it needs to be available for the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible tells us, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when he's, when he's organizing to receive an offering from the Corinthian church, he actually says, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Seed to the sower and bread for food. And he's actually talking in the context of finances. So what that means is this, everything that we earn, Part of it is seed for sowing and part of it is bread for food. Part of it is to be given away. Part of it is to be consumed on ourselves. Everything we get. I grew up in Victoria, so, I, you know, apples obviously grew up with apples. My grandfather used to have an apple orchard and, and my favourite apple is a golden delicious apple. Now, the thing is in Queensland, if I could be perfectly honest, our apples up here are not very good. Uh, the best ones are in Victoria, but down there, their bananas and pineapples no good either. So, um, but you know, as much as I love Golden Delicious, I don't eat the entire thing. There's a part of it that I don't touch. It's called the core. Now, there are some people that maybe a bit sick that eat the core. Who here eats the core? Put your hand up. Okay, all right. Now, if we were all like you, there's a reason why God made the core yucky. He don't want you to eat it. Why? Because it houses the seed. We're not supposed to eat the seed. If we were all like you, we'd eventually run out of apples. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because everything we get, part is seed for sowing. And part of it is bread for food. Part of it is to be consumed. Because why? Because that's what's needed to expand and extend the kingdom of God. 
And here, God uses Nehemiah because Nehemiah was the one who had access to the resources that was needed to rebuild those walls in 52 days. That's why every single one of us need to be available to have our resources used for kingdom projects beyond ourselves. That it's not just about us all the time. A number of years ago, back in 20, uh, 2019, so not that long ago, three years ago, um, I, um, I really had it on my heart. There was a number of churches, uh, uh, you know, re- regional churches in Queensland that couldn't find pastors. And, you know, some of the towns were very small and it was just so hard. And some of those really small towns, uh, what actually happens is a pastor leaves and, and then they fight, take ages to try and find another pastor. So in the meantime, all the people leave the church and then they find another pastor eventually and then starts building up, but then they only last a few years. And then it just happens all the time. And there was a time in, um, in our state where we had about six regional churches. When I say regional, I mean small areas that could, we couldn't find any pastors for. And so we had sent out messages, we'd advertised, and there was just none available. And I'd, I'd had it on my heart. I really felt God speak to me that we're supposed to, at King's Church, we're supposed to take one over one of these. And, and all the churches that were available, um, I had been and visited all of them, but there was one church that I just really felt on my heart, and I'd never actually been to it. Uh, to felt to take it up, to felt to talk to them about becoming a king's church, and and that was called uh, that was in a town called St George. Uh, so St George is essentially six hours due west of the Gold Coast. Uh, it's, it's essentially on the edge of the outback. It's red dirt and that sort of thing. In the entire region, entire surrounding region, there's two thousand people. Uh, it was a church that had had uh, they had uh, two buildings on that on the site. Uh, and that sort of thing, and uh, but they had not had a pastor for about nine months. The church was down to seven people, and I had it on my heart to maybe go out there and talk to them. And when I went out and flew out and talked to them on the same day, there was another church in town that was having a church split, and the people from that church were coming to see if they could actually take over uh, and use our ACC building and that sort of thing. And and I went there and I spoke to the uh, to the God, the elders that were there, and I said, "Listen, would you be interested in becoming a King's Church?" and and after praying about it for about 30 seconds, they said, yeah, <laughs> um, that'd, be, that'd be good. And so, and so we did that. They hadn't had a kids program uh, for five years. Uh, they hadn't had a pastor for quite a while. Um, they had actually had, uh, the land was on government land. Uh, and so, sorry, the buildings were on government land. Uh, just last year, I heard uh, our campus pastor, Nathan, he mentioned to us, he said, oh, yeah, uh, the government owed, uh, offered us the land a few years ago to buy, but we didn't. It was too expensive. I said, really? How much? This is two acres. I said, how much? They said, he goes, oh, yeah, it was 40000 I said, 40000 He goes, yeah, we couldn't afford it. I said, well, go back <laughs> and tell them uh, and see if they're still willing to sell it. Uh, and so the government came back, and this was a few years after the original offer. Uh, you know, they came back. They gouged us, mate. Uh, they put another 50% on it. Uh, so it was now it was 60,000 for two acres, <laughs> that sort of thing. And, and I said, great, we'll buy it and that sort of thing. And so now just the other week, they had about 60 people in that church. Uh, 
on land and property that is completely and wholly owned, have a kids program every week, jumping castle, have teams go out. They have a community care arm operating there. It's the only community care arm operating in town. Every month, 60 hampers are given out to people in the community. People are lining up out the doors of our church to get these hampers. And in the space of a short space of time, it went from being completely derelict and broken down to now having its walls rebuilt. And how did that happen? Because someone with some resource said, we will use it on something beyond ourselves to see their walls rebuilt. Amen? That's why God used Nehemiah. He used him because he actually had access to the resource that was needed. God has called every single one of us to be used by him in various ways. And you can always tell when he's lining you up to do something. Because first you actually get a passion, a desire for something. And then you realise that God's made a promise about that thing. So he's already ordained that this is something that's going to come to pass. And then you realise that you're actually in the right position to actually do it. And you've got the resource to do it. And then God just might use you to be like a Nehemiah, a rebuilder of some broken walls. Amen. My prayer for you today is this that every single one of us would see that what we do has a kingdom assignment behind it. You're not just in that job right now because you're trying to, find, trying to pay the bills. You're not just in that situation because you're in an in-between season. God has a plan and purpose for every single season of our life, for everything that He calls us to do, because God uses people to rebuild broken down walls. Amen? And maybe you're in this place and you're actually seeking the will of God regarding some things in your life. I feel that, that some people, it's even now you start thinking about things for the next year. Some of you have got some decisions to make around the year, next year and you don't have a lot of clarity on it. I want to pray for you right where you are right now and pray that God would give you direction and wisdom to know what He wants you to do. Because every season, God has a divine purpose, amen? God has a will for your life. So if I can just ask the worship team up and... And if you're, and I just invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And, and if you're saying, Ben, today that's me. I have these, I'm seeking God's direction and His will. I'm going to cup something for next year and I'm not exactly sure the direction I'm supposed to go. If that is you, I want to pray for you right now and pray for God's guidance and leading and direction. So if that's you, just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm seeking the direction and the will of God regarding something next year. And I'm going to pray for you. Because God has a plan and purpose for your life. You might not, you might, you might find that God is setting you up for a divine appointment to be a rebuilder of broken down walls. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person with their hand raised. And I just ask and pray, Lord, let your will be done in their lives. I pray, Lord, will you position them for purpose to be used by you, Lord God. Just like Nehemiah was perfectly positioned for a divine purpose. I pray may every single person here be positioned for purpose, used by you for your glory. I thank you for that. I pray that you give clarity. I pray that you give direction. And I pray may the will of God be done in their lives. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand to your feet one more time? And one more thing I want to ask. And maybe you're here and you're saying, Ben, there's an area of my life that is broken down. There's an area of my life that is not living up to the promise of God over my life. 
If that is you, I want to pray for you. It might have been an issue you've had for a long time. I want to pray for you where you are and pray that God will set in motion a season to see those things rebuilt and transformed quickly. So if that's you right where you are, just slip up your hand where you are and say, that's me. There's an area of my life that needs to be rebuilt. There's an area that's broken down and needs to be sorted. And it's been like this for a long time. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person with their hand raised. And I declare a season of rebuilding. I pray a season of acceleration, of quickness, of rebuilding in their lives, Lord God, that which has been broken down. I thank you for that, Father. I praise you for that, Lord. Let it be in their lives, Lord, that it rebuilds quickly, that they go from surviving to thriving. I thank you and I praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. He's awesome.